Hey there, listener. I just wanted to take this opportunity to say happy holidays to you and to wish you and your family an incredibly blessed holiday season and a prosperous 2017. Thank you for all your support and encouragement and for being the giants whose shoulders of support I can stand on. I'm Tinotenda Charles Rutanira, and this is the podcast on the shoulders of giants, where we get to chat with incredibly inspiring people who have broken the status quo or faced down adversity or taken the road less traveled and positively impacted the lives of other people. We get to hear their stories and gain knowledge and insights into how their professional and personal lives mix every day to create lessons and insights for others to follow. Because the only way to really grow is by building on previous discoveries. And only then can we truly see further by standing on the shoulders of giants. Growing up in Zimbabwe, I was exposed to various religions from Christianity to Islam, Hinduism, and various local and indigenous religions. As a teenager, I chose to become a Christian and have been a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ ever since. However, arriving in the United States, and in particular in Vermont, I found my beliefs challenged by philosophical arguments and an indifference to spirituality and by a life that was so easy compared to the one that I lived in Zimbabwe. It didn't seem like there was any need to believe in a God because the American dream gave me everything I wanted. If I worked hard enough and as long as I was living a good life and not hurting anybody, why did I need to believe in a God and his teachings? Added to this, I look at what is going on in the world today, the polarization of our society, the growth of radical Islam, the wars that are constantly going on and on all over the world. I see extreme weather, extreme pestilence, and extreme poverty, all wiping out entire towns and cities. It's all had me questioning. Does a loving God exist? So I decided to invite someone who might know a thing or two about God and about spirituality. My guest today is Pastor Mike Creasel, who is the head pastor of Community Bible Church one of the larger churches in Vermont, and find out from him what makes him tick, what keeps him going, and how he interprets all the challenges that everyday people like myself are struggling with. Pastor Mike, welcome to my show. Thank you, Tino. It's good to be uh, talking with you. Great. I am mindful of the fact that uh, pastors are used to speaking in front of a congregation uh, for anything from 30 minutes to an hour. So um, I hope it's fine that you're just talking one-on-one. And uh, I'm also going to preemptively ask for your forgiveness if I have to cut you off after about 30 minutes. (laughs) That's that's fine. No problem. (laughs) Great. So I know most of your story and uh, know that you did not become a Christian until you were a young adult. Uh, can you tell me about your childhood and what the formative years of your life were like? Well, basically, I grew up, uh, I'm a Vermonter. Uh, I was born in Vermont, raised in Vermont, 
uh, married my high school sweetheart, and so uh, uh, Vermont life has been very familiar to me. And uh, uh, other than mission trips and stuff, it's probably where I've spent, you know, it's where I've spent the majority of my life. In fact, right here in Chittenden County uh, is where I've spent the majority of my life. Um, basically, I was raised Catholic. Uh, this is a very big Catholic community. Uh, especially back here, I'm going back to 1950 now when I was born, and and so it was a very strong Catholic community. My parents, uh, my father didn't go to church. My mother basically raised us in church, and uh, basically what church became to me as I grew into my teen years, uh, it became uh, what I guess I distinguished between what it means to have religion and what it means to be in a relationship. And so basically the last time I went to the last time I went to church was the day I got married. Uh, and that was at the age of 21. And so uh, I got married and we didn't we didn't have any need for church. And then all of a sudden through a series of circumstances and through members of my family uh, uh basically I became part of what was known as the Jesus movement. And uh, back in the 60s and 70s, all these hippies or, that were turned off to establishment, were turned off to religion, were turned off to church, began to find out what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that swept from California right over to Vermont. And uh, just through some, what I call is uh, not coincidences, but God events, uh, that I became born again and uh it just opened my eyes to what it means to, to know God personally, to have God know you personally, and to enter into that kind of a relationship that you just uh, you build it out of intimacy uh, in his word and not just of what I would call religion, just going through motions. And I guess basically that's what I had done probably the uh, most of my life up until that time is just gone through the motions of what religion is about. And so... Uh, Totally I'm going to ask you, um, can you explain then the difference between religion and, and relationship and uh, what do you mean by being born again? Uh, so what I mean by religion and relationship is uh, I went to church, you know, I put my quarter in the offering bucket, uh, but on Monday it didn't mean anything to me. I, was, I wasn't God conscious throughout the week. I wasn't aware that God... Uh, was in my surroundings. It was just church, religion was something you do on Sunday, and then that's it. Whether it carries into your week, that it doesn't really matter at all. And so I didn't build my values. I didn't build my life around the fact that God is constant in my life. So that's what relationship came became with me. God wanted to have a personal relationship with me. So to be born again, when I became born again, it means that I realized what Jesus had done for me, how much he loved me and how much he cared about me, and then that he wanted to have this personal relationship with me. He wanted to talk to me, and he, w and he listened to me. And I realized that God communicates, and God speaks through his word, and he speaks through the circumstances of my life. And so I became more aware that God was constant, in my everyday life, whether I was at work, whether I was at home, when I was raising my ki my children, uh, and at church, he was he it was constant, and that's what being born again and having that personal relationship really meant to me. 
I see. So I guess following on from that, um, is there then a difference between relationship and spirituality? Because I hear people, I hear people who yeah. say, uh, I'm a spiritual person. Uh, but I don't know if that necessarily translates to what you would maybe picture. Well, I would say probably not. I mean, I think spirituality is becoming aware that there's things, you know, that there are things around you, that there's a deeper sense of life, okay? But when it comes to Christianity, uh, everything centers around your relationship with Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done for you. There's no other religion, there's no other relationship that can say that someone has done for me what Jesus Christ has done for me. And so when it centers around him and what he has done, that he is, that he is a savior, that he took my place, okay, uh, and paid the penalty for my sins, no one else can do that, and no one else would ever volunteer to do that. Only Jesus did that. And so that's what makes this relationship with him so unique compared to what spirituality is about, uh, just being aware that there are things uh, that are going on around you or being a, or having a spiritual nature. Uh, to me, a relationship with Jesus is so much more than that. I see. And so then you became a Christian. Was there a turning point or a moment that changed you and made you decide, okay, I'm doing this? Or was it sort of a, a series of events over time? It was a series of events that transpired over time. The first thing that happened, I began to see the lives of people that I knew, like in my family, my sisters, for example, uh, they became followers of Jesus, and I began to see their lives change. You know, the Bible was never anything they talked about. All of a sudden, they were excited about reading the Bible. They were excited about Bible studies. They were excited about prayer. They became excited about church. And although I, I wasn't interested, I was watching. And then my wife went to one of their Bible studies, and my wife became a follower, uh, a born-again follower of Jesus. And so I began to take more notice. Even though I stayed away from it, I was uh, I didn't want anything to do with it. Uh, I, I didn't care. But all of a sudden, you know, people began to show up in my life that I realized that something was different about them. And so through a series of events like that, I did attend, uh, I did attend a Bible study and I was given the opportunity uh, to become a follower of Jesus, to open my heart up to him, to come to that place of realizing what he had done for me and confessing and repenting of my sins. And, and, uh, and I did it. I, I took that step. And Tino's life has never been the same since. And that was over 40 years ago. Wow. And I'm so glad it was uh, the women in your life that sort of led you to this moment. Uh, they have a very special part to play in everybody's lives. Yep. And, and you know, I think it was because it was only, it started out being just women, I think that's part of my resistance, you know, that this is for women. <laughs> but then when I begin to, guys that I went to school with, guys that I grew up with, you know, uh, that I ran into, that I would talk to, that... All of a sudden, I realized, wow, their lives are also changed. And that's what got me more inquisitive and got me more open uh, to listening to what the gospel was all about, what the good news was all about. 
And so then you must have then at some point assumed some leadership uh, roles within your church and uh, then ultimately became a pastor. How did that all unfold? Well, um, you know, I have kind of a unique situation in that uh, um, my whole my whole Christian life has transpired in the church that I now pastor. So when when my wife and I became born again, became followers of Jesus, Community Bible Church was the first church we came to. And so within two, uh, within probably a year, I became a Sunday school teacher. I was teaching uh, nine, ten, and eleven-year-olds uh, doing a Bible study on Sunday mornings for them. Uh, then I became part of the bus ministry. We had we had buses that would go out every week and pick up kids in, all over the, all over Chittenden County, especially down into Burlington and into Winooski. So I became I became a Sunday school teacher, and then two years in two years I became a deacon. A deacon is one of the leaders of the church that helps and comes alongside the pastor in help in helping him run the church. So I was a deacon for eight years, and then after eight years, uh, I became the assistant pastor. The person who was the senior pastor at that time uh, brought me onto his staff, so I became a senior, uh, an assistant pastor for about three years. And then in 1989, the senior pastor left, and I decided to candidate, and I became the uh, the pastor of the church in 1989 and have been so uh, ever since. So you can see the progression that I made uh, right up through up until the place where I am now. Right. I probably served in just about every ministry in the church throughout the course of my Christianity. I've, I've even been the janitor at one time. <laughs> Used to I used to clean the church, uh, but I I wanted I gave my heart to God and I just said, God, whatever you can do with this life, if you can do anything with me, please I give it to you. And here I am. My my goal in life was to open a chain of gas stations. That's what I oh, wanted. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was I love cars. I love working on cars, uh, and so I uh, that was my goal. Uh, I wanted to open gas stations and run gas stations, but uh, God had a different plan. Exactly, exactly. And and one of the cool things, at least from what I'm hearing, is you've uh, you've done everything. And I think as a the leader of your church, it, it shows that you know you you can understand you know maybe the challenges or opportunities that might come up in different areas of the ministry and be able to speak to them because you have basically had a hand in how all of those pieces are run. So in that, do you, do you almost have to run a church like a business and sort of as the pastor be maybe like uh, the CEO? Well, yes, you do. Um, that's exactly what you have to do. There ha but there has to be that, that double part that this is, this, it's God's ministry, it's God's church, and whatever we do, we do for him. And so, but we are a corporation, uh, you know, we are a tax-exempt uh, corporation, so we have to govern ourselves that way, we have to have a constitution, we have to have a board, we have to have a president, and so we have to follow all those rules, and so uh, in some ways we do have to, we do have to uh, run the church like a corporation uh, to be able to uh, exist in the state of Vermont. Got it. Just going back into the whole uh, spirituality relationship piece, um, I guess people would ask, is Christianity a myth? 
this is what I found. When people really get into studying the Bible, when they really begin to study church history, when they begin to realize, okay, that the Bible consists of, uh, you know, 66 different books, over 30 different authors, written on three different continents, over a period of about 2,000 years, they begin to realize, okay, that there's a lot more to it than just uh, people putting together things. There's so much in the Bible. The, the Bible has more evidence for itself than many of the history books or the science books and the history books that people study. When you go back and look at the, look at the fact that that even just looking at the Gospels, that the Gospels, uh, that at least two of the Gospels were written, Matthew and John, those Gospels were written by eyewitness accounts. They actually witnessed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's just so much verification for the Bible. You begin to realize that once you understand that, that, that even just the history of it and the science of it, that uh, it's not a myth, that it's real. And then when you add the personal aspect of it, when you really understand God and speak to God and God speaks to you and God guides you and directs your life and becomes such a vital part of your life, you realize that uh, there's nothing more real than than the gospel and what the Bible teaches. And so uh, that's what I've learned, that's what I've taught, and that's what I've seen uh, people experience throughout all my years of Christianity. But are you not uh, reali uh, relying on your faith that this is real to justify that? Could somebody not also just have equally the same amount of faith that, you know, there was an explosion of atoms and, you know, just life started forming as it is? Well, you know what? The, 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 the wonderful thing about life is that we have that choice. Uh, people absolutely could, and I think a lot of people do. Um, and so there has to be an aspect of faith in Christianity because because that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we're saved through faith. Okay, And, of course, I believe that Jesus lived. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe it by faith. I live my Christianity by faith. It's by faith that I've been saved. But even with that... I don't need any more than that. I can still study the Bible and I can still research history and find that the Bible is so true to itself. So true to itself that it proves itself uh, over time. But absolutely, uh, people, can, people put, can and do put their faith in so many different aspects of, of life and science and and creation, but uh, but I found but I found that the Bible just uh, just backs up what it says in so many different ways. So, if let's say I want to believe, can I believe without necessarily attending church? I mean, can I practice my Christianity without having to be part of a congregation? Um, you can, uh, you can do that, but. Uh, if you, if you want to follow the biblical model, okay, the biblical model that God gave us was the church. That is what he left. That is what Jesus left when he went back into heaven. He established the church. And so, uh, if you want to follow God's word, if you want to follow God, okay, the way that the Bible teaches, then 
you are going to be involved with a group of people of like faith. Now, what that looks like throughout the world, okay, can take a number of different forms. Uh, back in early Bible days, back in the New Testament, they were they had what they called house churches. And there certainly is a whole house church movement throughout the world and throughout the United States. And certainly church doesn't have to look like uh, what we might cons- might think of church looking like uh, because the church isn't, the building isn't the church. The people are the church. And so wherever believers of like mind, of like faith are gathered together, uh, church can be established. But when you read the New Testament, you know, God just sets up a structure of what, of, of coming off from the apostles, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the prophets, those that bring God's word and establish God's, God's church. God, Jesus left the church. That was the vehicle that God chose to bring his message to the world. I see. So, according to a Gallup poll and also the Pew Research Center, Vermont is one of the least religious states in the country. No, it is the least, not one of them. The least. least. (laughs) Okay, then. So, wouldn't you rather be pastoring a church in Alabama or Tennessee? You know, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. I can't think of a better. I've been to India three times. I've been to Africa. Uh, I've sent people to Guatemala. My uh, my wife has been uh, on missions trips, uh, many in my church. But I can't think of a better place to bring the gospel than the least church state in the country, the state of Vermont. I love my state. And, and so... Uh, uh, the goal of the gospel is to take it where uh, it's not welcome, <laughs> where people aren't interested, and so uh, I can't think of a I can't think of a more wonderful place I'd rather preach the gospel and bring the message, the good news of Jesus Christ, than in the state of Vermont. I think a lot about um, when where I grew up, and there were lots of missionaries who would come, and it's funny that you know people would send missionaries to Africa, and yet it seems like the missionaries should probably have been better served staying at home and coming to, to Vermont, for instance. Um, why would why do you think that it's so that Vermont is the least, least uh, religious state in the country? Um, I think, I think, I think the answer kind of starts out with where you started this whole conversation. Uh, when, you kind of were saying that, you know, people in America uh, follow the American dream. You know, you can live in America and not need God. You can prosper and not need God. And I think that mindset, especially in the Northeast, has just kind of set in over the years uh, where people have just come to that place of of realizing or believing that they don't need God. Now, I'll be honest with you, the biggest reason for that is the church. I think the church over the years has become more irrelevant. We've we've stayed inside of our walls way too long, and we haven't taken the message 
that Jesus gave in the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples, we haven't taken it seriously and we haven't taken it literally. And what the church has done, we've, we, we call it a come-to church. We sit here in our four walls and we wait for people to come to us. And I think over the years that has backfired on the church because people, people aren't like that anymore. There's just, back in the early years, Tino, there wasn't a lot of entertainment. You notice in every town, every city in the state of Vermont, you'll always find a church because you couldn't establish the city without a church. And that's why in the, right in the center of many towns in Vermont and many cities, you'll find a church. But what has happened is, is the church over the years has become more irrelevant to people and much more to entertain people has come about and therefore church has become less effective and less attractive to people and I think that's what we, that's the kind of situation we found ourselves in in the church not only in Vermont but in America so you talked about uh, going out of your walls uh, what are you and Community Bible Church doing to go out of your walls and reaching out to people within the community so you know, throughout the years, throughout our history, we've tried to make really, real strides in reaching out to our community. For example, we started we started the Burlington Emergency Shelter. Oh, really? We, we started the first Christian shelter uh, in Vermont. Uh, we had a TV show uh, that was on primetime TV on Saturday nights at eight o'clock for for a few years. It was called God's Country. We had a radio show that that we recorded we built a little radio studio and we went and we recorded a, a radio show and we would it was called the rock that never rolls we sent it clear across all the way over to california each week we'd send cassettes out to all these different different radio stations we started a bus ministry we had we we uh we would go out and get people and bring them in we helped start the first teen challenge which is the which is which is actually the number one drug and alcohol uh, rehab in the world. They have the biggest success rates, uh, bigger than any uh, any secular program you could have. Teen Challenge, which is a, a faith-based program, uh, has one of the greatest success rates not only in the country but also in the world. We helped start the first one in the state of, in the state of Vermont. We have an extensive prison ministry. We've been going into the prisons for over 25 years going into the prisons, bringing the gospel to those who are there, and just reaching reaching out so that we can touch people. Uh, I'm sure you probably know this, but we connected with the Vermont Refugee Resettlement Program. We were one of the first churches, and we were probably the only church that stayed with them. So every refugee family that comes into this area, into the Burlington area, into Chittenden County, we give them a packet. And the packet has uh, bus cards in it, it has food cards, it has stamps, it has telephone cards, uh, brochures, just, just, just ways of helping people get acclimated into our community. So what we've done, um, we've just, over the years, we've just, uh, we have what we call Jay's Christmas Party every Christmas. We put on a free Christmas party for people, for kids in our area. We give them a free gift. We have animals and costumes, and we just throw a big Christmas party. We turn our sanctuary into Santa's village, <laughs> and just in an effort to, we just want to, you know, we just want to love our community. We just want to show people that Christians care, 
And so uh, we're we're about our latest project is this. We're about to invest uh, five thousand dollars in the in the South Burlington Police Department. We're going to we're going to buy a, a tourniquet kit for every for every officer in every squad car in the South Burlington Police Force. We're going to spend five thousand dollars on that project just because we want to bless our community. We want to bless our local police. And so so we're always looking for ways. And we've done things throughout the years. We did something for uh, our armed services in, as a result of 9-11. Just different things that we do to try to tell our community that we love them and that we care. Wow. So that's a lot of things that you're you're doing and should be proud of and i particularly love the uh, rock that never rolls uh, <laughs> that's that's really cool I, I like that um so given all of this and all that you're doing which is all terrific stuff as i stated in my introduction whether it's the rise of radical islam or the position of the church towards uh, sexual orientation you know sexual choices or partners um, the perceived hypocrisy of ev evangelicals, um, or just simply explaining to somebody why a toddler gets run over by a distracted driver. Uh, there is a lot going on that would turn somebody off from having a relationship, as you said, uh, with a loving God that built this whole world for us and has a perfect plan for us. How would you win hearts and minds in this kind of environment? Well, that's a really good question. And uh, here's the way that we try to approach it. I think, I think what the church in many cases has done wrong is we start judging the world. Jesus never judged the world. <laughs> okay, Jesus took on the sins of the world. So what we do is we take people... We take people who have no interest in the Bible, have no interest in God, have no interest in becoming a follower of Jesus, and we start judging them and telling them how they should live and telling them everything that they're doing wrong. God didn't call us to do that. God calls us to love the world, to minister to the world. We're supposed to judge the church. We're supposed to judge each other. We're supposed to keep each other accountable Okay, for the way that we live and for following biblical standards. So I think the first thing that we need to do is realize that there are many things out there that we don't agree with, that we don't believe follow a, a biblical model of what God has called us to do, and that we don't practice. But we're not here to tell the world that they're doing it wrong. We're here to tell the world that God has a better way. And so our goal is to try to bring the gospel in such a way that people realize that, that there is a God who loves them, who cares about them, who has, has this wonderful story that starts in Genesis and ends in Revelation. And throughout that story, we realize that because of sin, because we have a fallen nature, things will happen. Because God has given us free will and free choice, there are things that happen that b become very destructive. But it was never God's intent, and it's never God's way. 
we have to show people that God is a restorer of things. God came to restore life. God came to bring life. God came to show us a better way of life. And it's the goal, it's the, it's the mission of the church to bring that to the world. Hmm. Wow. Um, even as a practicing Christian myself, um, this is really, really eye-opening for me. And so thank you for that insight. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and bring it a little bit closer to home for me and maybe for you too. Um, so I wrestle with uh, habitual sin, rebellion every single day of my life, I think just like everybody else does, and constantly dealing with ups and downs, back and forth, you know, pushes and pulls, and a constant balancing act between what is good and what is bad. Firstly, how does that translate to someone who's a pastor? And secondly, is there pressure on a pastor to be perfect? You know, uh, do you get angry? Do you hurt other people's feelings? Do you get traffic fines? Do you have road rage? You know, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Uh, well, um, I'll be honest with you. That hasn't happened with me so far today. <laughs> <laughs> so far, I'm I'm doing well. <laughs> and for those uh, that are listening, we're recording this in the morning, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the day isn't over yet. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, pastors are human beings. Uh, certainly. Uh, Many pastors put pressure on themselves. Many, many churches put pressure on pastors. Uh, pa hundreds, hundreds of pastors leave the ministry every year because of the pressure. Uh, what a pastor has to do, what people have to do, we all have to come to terms with the fact that we're, we're human. Uh, sin is always at the door. Sin is always a potential. This is where people misunderstand us, Tino. Just because our desire is to live holy lives, to live godly lives, to live big, biblical lives, they think we're judging them, and they think we think we're better than they are. And sometimes we act that way, but that's not God's design. God's design is a design of forgiveness, of restoration, and in the midst of that, we grow together. We keep each other accountable. We forgive each other, and we seek Here's our goal, to become more like Jesus. And we know that there's, there's falling in the midst of that, there's mistakes in the midst of that, there's sin in the midst of that, but that, that if we confess our sins, this is what the Bible teaches, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he forgives us. And so that's what Christianity is all about. It's realizing that we aren't perfect people. That's why Jesus had to pay the penalty for us. That's why Jesus had to take our place. Someone perfect had to take my place and your place and the world's place, okay, that had never sinned and that would never sin. And that was God's only son. And he's the one that did it for me. He's the one that's perfect. Therefore, I don't have to be. I live my life to follow him and serve him, and he gives me grace as I grow in him. Got it. So then, what does a typical day look like for you? I mean, uh, do you watch Monday Night Football? Do you jump on Facebook? You know, I, what, what do you kind of, what do you, what does a pastor do during a day? Well, you know, I'm I'm a Vermonter, 
I live a pretty typical life. Uh, I wake up three or four in the morning. I go to the gym. I go to Planet <laughs> Fitness. <laughs> I go to the gym for an hour, an hour and a half, and I come over to church and I spend time reading my Bible. I spend time praying. Uh, I love to golf. That's my hobby. Uh, I just have a great time. Uh, uh, I love the Red Sox. I love the Patriots. You might have made a few uh, enemies already right there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold that against me anyway. <laughs> My wife and I recently, we just love the Little League World Series. We, we, we enjoy TV. Uh, we watch the news. We watch, we watch different programs. Uh, we, we have seven grandchildren. Uh, and so we uh, enjoy our grandchildren. Uh, one of my grand, grandsons is in, is in football. Another one is in basketball. Another one plays soccer. Uh, one of my granddaughters is a gymnast. One of my granddaughters is in field hockey. And so we, we go to much of their cool. games as we can. We love to go out to eat. Uh, our youth group went bowling last night. We uh, we love to cook out. We just uh, we 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 love to kayak. Uh, we have bikes. We take walks. Uh, we enjoy our lives. Um, in closing, I'm gonna ask you a question that I ask all of my guests, and um, the question is: If you could travel back in time and have a conversation with a younger version of yourself, uh, what words of wisdom would you say to yourself? Um, what a great question. If I could go back in time and have a conversation with myself, I probably would have, would have told myself that God was real much earlier than I did. I, I'm sorry I wasn't serving God throughout my teen years. And throughout my earlier years, uh, I wish I would have had that opportunity, and 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 I wish I I would have told myself, uh, get to know him sooner. Uh, you won't regret it uh, if you do. Uh, that would be the wisdom I would give myself. There's much more to life than what I was living. Those are very incredible words of advice to any person that is listening. Yes, there certainly is more to life, and nobody wants to live this life with regrets. So um, if somebody was interested in uh, learning more about you and uh, Community Bible Church, how would they uh, get hold of you? Uh, we have a website. It's communitybiblechurch.ws. Uh, you can go on the website. You can watch the service. We, we stream our services every week. You can archive them. Uh, we, it gives all of our ministries, what the things that are going on. It gives the number, everything. Uh, you can email us through that. Uh, that is the best place to go. Uh, or you can just visit us. Uh, we meet every Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. We're on Williston Road, which is right in South Burlington. So we're very easy to find. And, uh, uh, we would enjoy, uh, having anyone come and visit or any questions. Just give us a call. We'd be glad to do what we can. Wonderful. I must say, Pastor Mike, it's been a real pleasure having you on my show. Uh, thank you for your time and uh, sharing your story, your knowledge, and insights into your beliefs. I feel enriched and encouraged, 
And uh, given your line of work, I know that uh, you have to try to live an exemplary life and it's not easy. But uh, what I've taken away is that no one is perfect. And while we may not always see the, the fruits of some of our good works, I'm sure that they do make a difference in people's lives. And I encourage you to continue doing what you guys are doing. And particularly uh, with all the ministries that you are utilizing to, to reach the people that are not churched. And I hope that during this interview it might give somebody who is giving thoughts about giving their life to Christ, you know, the, the sort of information and courage to take that leap of faith. And hopefully maybe even your gas station dream might come true uh, one day when you uh, hang up your jersey. <laughs> I'd like to do something, do something a little bit different. I would have wrapped up the show, but would you like to say a closing prayer for our state and for our nation? I would love to. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you today that uh, you love America. You love Vermont. And Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you gave yourself, that you gave your life. So Father, I just pray that uh, you would just do a great work in our state, do a great work in our country. In this election year, my prayer is that you would raise up godly men and women to lead our nation, to guide our state. People that love you and people that uh, are willing to follow biblical principles. I pray for just a a better awareness in the state of Vermont about who you are and how much you love this state and how much you love this nation. In the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. Next time on the podcast On the Shoulders of Giants, in tribute to a new year and resolution making, I talked to Kerry Fantelli, a yoga instructor, health practitioner, dancer, writer, and blogger on the website Badass Mamas about yoga and how her life has been changed by the practice of yoga. The practice of yoga does start out as physical for a lot of people in Western society. And with time, the, the layers start to go deeper and it becomes more emotional and you start to really recognize places in your body that haven't gotten attention and there's certain places in our in our own bodies that require opening or require release and in those releases and openings it's it's astounding how emotions are kind of trapped in those spots and so over time it becomes this shift of energy it's very it's magical. It's like this energetic shift of what we kind of show to the world every day and then who we really are. And I feel like getting yourself closer to your true self and who you really truly are at your heart of heart is what keeps me going back to my mat because it does continue to deepen the more I practice and the longer I've I've been working through my yoga on my mat and my yoga off my mat. It's it's a beautiful process. And so it does become very deep, emotional, and you could use the word spiritual. And I do believe that I've had moments where it's felt extremely spiritual for me as far as the practice of yoga and, and what it's 
offered and awarded to me as, as I grow. It's not so much physical anymore.